Video games are complicated. I know I've opened more than a few episodes with this line, but I feel the need to keep bringing it up. Those of us who have grown up with video games have seen a tremendous leap in their capabilities since their inception. We've seen games go from 8-bit side-scrollers to massive AAA cinematic adventures in a little over four decades. This occurred alongside a stunning acceleration of technology that continues to change our world at a rapid pace. We've seen games go from the realm of traditional toy makers to out-earning gigantic movie studios as the preferred form of entertainment for millions. We've seen this medium of art become so important that it literally defines who we are as we take the sides of giant corporations in so-called imaginary console wars and fight with strangers online about which games are superior to others. In many ways, we've been so spoiled by the quality and quantity of video games that we take them for granted. We often forget that video games don't just come into existence. There is no immaculate conception that gave us Mario. Miyazaki was not handed Dark Souls from the heavens on high. Kojima didn't bring Metal Gear into existence simply with his mind alone. Video games are complicated. Under the surface of that sometimes silky smooth 4K 60fps experience is nothing short of a modern day miracle. A fusion of technologies so complicated that it's a wonder any of it works together at all. Millions of lines of code, 3D models, rendered cutscenes, music scores, voice and acting performances, physics engines, objects that need to interact with one another in every conceivable way, doors, lighting, camera controls, combat engines, hit and collision detect and loading, techniques to manage memory and processing power, network capacity. These are just a few of the complicated technical aspects to a complete package that we know as a video game. We know this on a subconscious level, and when games launch in a subpar state, it is more apparent than ever. But the technical side is just one important aspect of bringing a game together. The hardworking men and women who work at the businesses that make these incredible games are more important, for without their hard work and driving creative vision, we wouldn't have some of the most incredible stories and experiences ever told. Gamers like numbers. We love when numbers quantify things for us because it gives us an easily understandable benchmark on how to gauge something. This game got a review score of 8 out of 10? Okay, based on the universal scale of rating things 1 to 10 that was established at the beginning of time, that means it's pretty good. That game sold 5 million copies in its first month? That is really good for that developer and it must be a commercial success. That game had a budget of $200 million? That's a AAA cinematic experience. The development team consisted over 200 members? Wow, that must be a huge studio. Look at them giving jobs to so many people. PS5 sold over 30 million units? Fuck you, Xbox nerds. How does it feel to be inferior? Ugh. Sorry about that. Numbers help us as gamers who do not work in gaming to understand in simple terms the success or failure of a certain game, studio, or company in relation to the industry as a whole. We hold up remarkable numbers as irrefutable proof of success or failure, and use these numbers as cudgels of truth against fellow gaming fans in a continual bid for brand superiority. So since we love numbers so much, let's look at some numbers. Immortals of AVM was recently released by developer Ascendant Studios and published by Electronic Arts under their EA Originals banner, 
where EA would help independent studios with development costs to finish the game and then allow that studio to keep any additional revenue the game makes after EA recoups its investment costs. Ascendant Studios was made up of veteran Call of Duty and Dead Space developers and was founded in 2018, and Immortals of Avium was their first ever release. Immortals released on August 22nd, 2023 and was met with mixed critical reviews and commercial reception, with the game sitting at a 70 overall on Metacritic. Now, I don't know how we arrive at a world where 7 out of 10 equals a bad game. And if you're limiting yourself to experiences that are only ranked above a certain number on a made up scale, I feel sorry for you, but that's a different episode. For whatever reason, because I'm not here to review Immortals of AVM, nor have I played it, the game did not sell well. On September 14th, 2023, Ascendant CEO Brett Robbins posted an update on Twitter stating that they had to part ways with 45% of their workforce. Nearly half of the people who worked on the game in some capacity were now unemployed a mere two weeks after the game's launch. How is that for a number? Ascendant isn't the only studio to have gone through this in 2023 either. Earlier this year, EA announced nearly 800 people would be out of a job, and workers at studios such as Firaxis, CD Projekt Red, Riot, and Take-Two have also found themselves without jobs after massive layoffs. Saints Row developer Volition was forced to close its doors after 30 years of making games due to increasingly difficult conditions in the industry. We like numbers when they are ambiguous, a stat with no human connection behind them. Points scored, money made, review scores, we'll talk about those all day long. The numbers that seem to get overlooked the most when it comes to games are the numbers that tell us the human cost of making video games. Imagine yourself as a game developer. You've uprooted your family for a new opportunity at a brand new development studio in insert state where game developers are located, where you'll be working on level design for an exciting and brand new AAA video game that will capture the imagination of the industry and gamers when it is finished. The game is due out sometime in the next three to four years and is being backed by a big publisher. So you have job security for a while and shouldn't have to immediately worry about the well-being of you or your family, right? Well, you would hope so. See, the other aspect of video games that tends to get overlooked is the business side. In a perfect world, game developers would be artists, people who are passionate about their craft and are given complete creative freedom to create whatever they want for the masses. There's one slight wrinkle in this perfect utopia. Games make money, and when money gets involved, so does corporate. The business side of gaming isn't as exciting as the creative side because corporate has managers, meetings, deadlines, budgets, and shareholders to appease. For many managers and executives, games are not a work of art or some kind of narrative experience. They are products to be sold for a return to fatten their bottom line and keep the company profitable. And a lot of times the business side clashes with the creative vision of the team trying to make something incredible. Mr. CEO doesn't care about your protagonist's motivations. He's just asking why this game looks nothing like Fortnite and what are you doing to monetize it? Why isn't it on schedule? Why do you need more developers to finish it? 
There's no instance in which this is a smooth process, and it varies from studio to studio. Sure, like any industry, I'm sure there are best practices, but different organizations have different hierarchical structures and development processes. And the development process itself is long and arduous, where changes in thought or direction can cause months of work to be scrapped. It's chaotic, with games sometimes coming together in the final weeks before release to form a cohesive experience. The day finally comes, release day. You've put literal years of hard work into making this game become reality. It's not quite what the original creative vision was thanks to management interference, but it's still something you can be proud of. The culmination of an incredible team effort over a long period of time. But things go wrong. The reviews start to come in, scores averaging between six to eight, and while this still isn't bad, it isn't viewed as the critical and commercial smash hit you wanted it to be. Strangers on the internet content to hate on anything that isn't perfection judge the creation you helped make as trash despite not playing the game. Hype didn't translate into sales. There's no time to dwell on perceived failures though. The gaming industry moves forward and your team begins to plan pitches and design documents for a new project. Except there is no next project. Not for you anyways. Your studio has just announced that the game you spent years of your life on did not meet expectations. And as a survival tactic, the studio is letting go 50% of its workforce to reduce costs. And you are one of those being let off. In an instant, you've gone from job stability to uncertainty surrounding your entire life. You spent late nights, thousands of hours of overtime, even weekends working to get this game out. You've missed date nights, plays or recitals, your kids' sports games in order to provide for your family while pursuing a career you're passionate about. And what is your reward for all of your hard work and sacrifice? The entirety of you and your family's lives thrust into uncertainty. Now, obviously the above scenario is very specifically tailored to the narrative that I'm trying to make in my episode. Many people go on to work long careers at individual studios, and the above example is not the only end game for a career path in developing video games. But it does reflect the harsh reality of pursuing a career creating video games. The toll game development takes on individuals and families has been pushed into the spotlight in recent years, with practices like crunch and crappy pay for lesser roles increasingly coming under fire. Sure, some industry titans have been around for a long enough time and are big enough that they can survive the subpar performance of a game that spent five years in development. Other studios aren't so lucky. There's so much money involved in making games nowadays, with the biggest games having budgets that exceed nine figures when factoring in salaries, marketing, and all the business costs that are associated with the game's creation. That is a lot of resources to put into a product that won't make it to market for five years. When there's that much tied up in a game, it has to be a success and make its budget back. A lot of studios stand upon the edge of a knife, their very survival hinging on the success of a game. If it fails, then that studio's survival is in serious jeopardy. That is when cost-cutting measures go into effect. The most obvious of these is to reduce payroll by eliminating part of your workforce. Sure, some people get severance and temporary insurance to make the transition, but your life is now changed. There are so many questions and no immediate answers. You love working in games, but this development cycle chewed you up and spit you out. 
While there is always a need for talented developers, your next job could take you anywhere in the country. You just moved your family across the country a few years ago. Your kid is acclimated to his new school and made new friends. You and your partner have made friends with your neighbors and your coworkers. And now, to chase the next opportunity, you're forced to move across the country to take any job that enables you to provide for yourself or your family. To make video games is to accept that this cycle is reality. The list of studios that have shut down is long, and the list of people who have worked at those studios, I'm sure, is even longer. As more and more money poured into video games, this is the model that has produced some of the greatest games of all time. But as the world continues to grapple with the growing wealth gap and conditions in which people work, one has to wonder how long it is sustainable. Despite the fact that we're more aware of these things than ever before, we often don't really think about the people who make the games we yell about unless they are big names like Miyamoto, Kojima, Nomura, etc. When we think of people who make games, it is these people who first come to mind. And that has been the same throughout history. The leaders, the visionaries, they are the names that get mentioned and remembered. The same goes for most businesses. We talk about visionary founders and eccentric leaders of big tech companies while there are hundreds, if not thousands of people that help propel their vision forward. But no one person, with very rare exception, can ever make games that shift the paradigm alone. There's a large team of people working to make the games you love, hate, and critique. Let me ask you this, do you ever watch the credits when you beat a video game? And I'm not talking about sitting there as the credits scroll by in the aftermath of a game. Do you really look at the credits as they scroll by? Do you really look at the credits, the lengthy list of names that scroll by upon completing your adventure were all in some way involved in crafting the experience you just played? Credits aren't just a formality, they tell a story of the people who were involved in the game's creation. In nearly every modern credits scroll, there is a section dedicated to the babies that were born during the game's development, a section that is becoming larger as production time continues to increase. I've also seen several credits include a dedicated section to team members' pets, who either passed on or spent time at the office while the game was being made. This should hammer home that the people who craft these wonderful technological miracles that we get to experience have families, pets, goals, lives, ambitions outside video games. They don't exist to serve you entertainment. Sure, they got into making games because they love them, but making games is also a means to an end a way to support your life outside of work, whatever small part of it you're allowed when you aren't crunching 18 hour days, six days a week. These people have good days, bad days, are struggling with life's challenges, entering and exiting relationships, trying to get kids to school on time, and on top of all of that hangs the harsh reality of the video game industry, that if this project doesn't perform well, their studio might shut down and they may have to uproot their lives to find work elsewhere. Whenever I finish a video game, I've made watching the credits roll part of my playing ritual. And depending on the size of the game, this could take a while. But as the names roll by, I pick a few out and just wonder about where they are now, what they are doing with life, and trying to imagine everything they went through to provide me with a piece of entertainment that I will not talk about on the internet. I will probably never meet any of these people in person, but by playing the game they made, They've all become part of its story and part of my story as the player. 
Speaking of story, whether you're a relatively new listener of the show or been with me since the beginning, you'll most likely have heard my tagline, the story of video games, the people who play them, and the memories made along the way. I've strived in my few years of making content to talk about games at a slightly different angle than anyone else, with less of a calculated critical eye and more focus on the spirit of a game, the circumstances of its existence, the goals it set out to accomplish, and its personal connection to my life. These are most of the major aspects that make up the lens through which I view games, and more often than not, leave me on the more positive end of the spectrum of video game opinions. One of my least favorite questions is when someone asks me, what are my top five most hated games, or what games did I hate playing? I often struggle with this question because there have been very few examples where I've put down a game I finished and thought, man, I absolutely hated this experience. There are games I just put down and didn't finish because they didn't grab me, GTA 5 being a great example of this. I would never say GTA 5 is a bad game or a bad product. I respect what it has been able to accomplish in terms of its existence and the impact it's had on games as a whole, but it is great that we are able to have these conversations now. Conversations and analysis around video games has risen to the level of movies and books. I mean, just look at how many video game podcasts are out there. I've been on no less than four episodes about Final Fantasy 16. Objective critical analysis of games has become the standard for every game that is released. My analysis is probably more on the subjective side, where I talk about what aspects of the game connected with me and how I feel the game accomplished what it set out to do. But as I've continued work on my extremely comprehensive Kingdom Hearts series, I've started to think a lot more about the development and business side of games and how those factors ultimately influence the product that gets put on the market. The people are a bigger part of the game's story than I think we give them credit for. Learning about what the people of Tetsuya Nomura's team went through in creating the Kingdom Hearts series has given me a greater appreciation for the games as a whole, even some of the lesser entries in the series that I used to have lukewarm feelings towards. In the same vein, I've recently read Blood, Sweat, and Pixels and Press Reset, two incredible books by industry insider Jason Schreier that have given us an intimate view of the game development process through the eyes of people that have lived it. The people in these books put everything on the line to pursue their creative passions, to give us something that can entertain and connect with us. For those brave individuals who strike out on their own, it can mean living paycheck to paycheck in cramped conditions for complete creative freedom. These people are part of the story of the game that you play and are too often the target of ignorant players whose misunderstanding of the process led them to say mean and nasty things to the dev teams. People who get mad at video games, let me talk to you for a second here. No one sets out to make a quote-unquote bad video game. There is no director or producer of a game who comes into the office every day and is like, we're gonna make the worst thing ever to piss off the gamers. There's no one who seriously tries to make their creative passions their career who sets out with the mindset of, this is going to be a horrible thing that I put out that will be ridiculed for years to come. So listen, do not be fucking mean to the devs. You don't have to shit talk them and there are no excuses for threatening them, their families, or wishing any bodily harm upon the people who make the thing you are passionate about. It is also stupid to actively root against a game in development because you have some preconceived notion about said game or some flawed console warrior view of video games as a whole. Game development is shaky enough, and if a game isn't a critical success, the people you're rooting against run the real risk of being laid off. 
having their whole lives turned upside down as security is snatched from them in an instant. I'm a firm believer in the universal rule of shit talking, where if you're talking a big game, be ready to pull up those pants and let's see you do it better. Most of you wouldn't survive the rigors of game development, so make sure you're paying the mortgage on that glass house. Now, this isn't me saying that games should be immune to critical analysis. I'm simply pointing out that critical analysis of games so often overlooks the people who make the game and the environment in which the game was made as contributing factors to the way the game turns out. Video games aren't divorced from the human element any more than sports, going to space, working on computers, creating social media platforms, or any other endeavor. You can be in the middle of developing a game that is perfectly following a creative vision, when a decision comes down from upper management that completely changes the direction of said game. You can suddenly lose funding, find timelines moved up, lose half your team to other projects. There are so many factors that go into making a game that it is amazing they get made at all. You could give two teams of 100 people a 50-page creative brief for a game, and they would produce two different games. As the title of this episode states, there is a human cost to game development that gets lost in the hype cycle. In our rush to review the latest and greatest, the context of how or why the game was made the way it was by human beings tends to get lost. It takes a lot of hard work and bravery to bring creative vision to life. It is hard work and nerve-wracking to put out my little internet show. I can't imagine having a gigantic game release for people to judge, and the response from some random strangers is to shit on something you worked so hard and sometimes half your life threatened. As players, we aren't owed anything, and we should be lucky that we get the incredible experiences that we've gotten thanks to the hardworking men and women of the video game industry. As I continued to write this episode, another development in the ongoing story of the treatment of people who work in games occurred. It was announced that Epic Games was laying off almost 900 of its staff, while also announcing a price hike for Fortnite's in-game currency, V-Bucks. What's sure to follow is excuses from CEO Tim Sweeney as to why this cost-cutting measure had to be taken, but it's in line with a lot of other big layoffs we've seen in the tech industry, with giants like Microsoft, Meta, Google, and others. What's worse is that when those layoffs occurred earlier in the year, Sweeney responded with a meme about how when things got tough, Epic stuck together and didn't resort to fast cost-cutting measures that destroyed lives. Oh, how the turntables. A memo from Sweeney states that Epic was spending more than it was making and had been for a long time, so layoffs were necessary to help stabilize finances. I find this difficult to believe. It has been reported that Fortnite alone has been generating billions of dollars for Epic, and that is before you even factor in things like the fees for Unreal Engine, which is utilized by tons of studios. If it is true that Epic was spending more than it was making, why should the rank and file employees bear the brunt of cost-saving measures. Is Sweeney's salary being reduced? Unlikely, the CEO's salary must be protected at all costs. Most of Epic's shares are owned by him and he is the company's leader. Fall Guys developer Mediatonic, which was purchased by Epic in 2021, appears to have been hit especially hard if posts on the site formerly known as Twitter are to be trusted. Imagine the whiplash that people at Mediatonic must feel right now. Their hit game Fall Guys exploded onto the scene, and being bought by Epic must have given them so much hope that their future was secure. 
And not two years later, their studio has been gutted, the target of easy cost-saving measures. Sure, employees are getting six months severance and health insurance, but entire lives are now uprooted. Friends who have worked together for years are now separated. Some will have to move to states to find new work. Even at a company like Epic, which appeared to be racking up win after win after win in the recent years, the human cost of video games matters little when a quick round of layoffs can rapidly improve your bottom line. There's a certain disconnect that occurs when you start to think of people this way. They aren't people, merely labor inputs, numbers on a spreadsheet that generate productivity and subtract from profit. Maximum efficiency is required from every line on that spreadsheet. But the one thing spreadsheets can account for is the humanity behind those so-called labor inputs. So where do we go from here? The video game industry is clearly at a crossroads. Game development costs are soaring. Production cycles are becoming longer. Big video game companies are unwilling to take major risks, only wanting to take big swings with big AAA games that can net them the biggest return. There's a race to devour and consolidate studios under the umbrella of big conglomerates and console manufacturers. Those same studios who are bought can also be shut down just as easily to quickly reduce costs. And in the middle of all of this are the men and women who put their mental and physical health on the line working hellacious hours for no guarantee of job security, all to create the incredible experiences that we bitch about on the internet. The path we're on is unsustainable, not only for the companies that make games, but especially for the people who make them. As I get ready to wind down this episode, I realize that I've started touching on a lot of elements that are intertwined with one another. Objective critical analysis, reviews, the hype train, treatment of people who work in video games. If I was to follow every branching path that I brought up, this episode could easily be six hours long. These are probably more focused episodes for another day. And I realized that some people who work in games have a very stable job and great working conditions. I wasn't looking to paint over everyone and everything with broad brushstrokes. My ultimate reason for writing this episode is to make you think just a bit more about the people who make the games you play. They are part of the story that you experience just as much as every other aspect of the game that you review. Those human factors matter so much in determining why a game comes out the way it does that I think it matters in our conversations about video games. Not everyone who comes into work operates with 100% efficiency and focus 100% of the time. There's just too much anxiety and uncertainty in life these days. All these things matter in the bigger conversation. These people matter. We've seen massive strikes this year in Hollywood and the auto industry, as well as a near strike situation with UPS. People are beginning to remember that they deserve to be treated like humans in the work they do and be rewarded with a livable wage and job security. I only hope that we can one day reach that point in the video game industry, where a majority of people have stable jobs and a comfortable life. Big gaming companies are always looking at costs, trying to minimize them while maximizing their profit. But the only cost they seem to constantly overlook is the toll this cycle takes on the people who work for them. The human cost of making games is high. Let's change that. Thank you so much to everybody who listened to this episode. If you'd like to get in touch with me or comment on some of the points I brought up in this episode and talk about them, you can either join the Discord or find me on social media. You can go to linktr.ee forward slash unlockables podcast and find all of that good stuff there. But as always, we're going to sign off for now. And remember, 
It's not just the story of video games, it's the story of you.